There are five and a half million jobs open in America, and it's time to get to work. At ExpressPros.com, you can apply for a new job today. Apply now at ExpressPros.com for skilled labor jobs like drivers, forklift operators, welders, and programmers, as well as administrative jobs, customer service, and accounting positions. Express also hires for positions in the medical industry, such as billing, coding, data entry, and record keeping. Each Express office is locally owned and operated and is invested in the success of their community. And 75% of the people who have a job are open to a new job or actively looking for a new job. With more than 770 Express locations, you'll find the nearest one at ExpressPros.com. There are no fees for job seekers, and with one application, you apply for a variety of top jobs in your community. Express takes pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Go to ExpressPros.com. That's ExpressPros.com. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. You talk about how some incredible horror films pop up during times of social unrest. I do. Tell me about that. Well, first of all, let's finish the uh, anecdote which I before the break, which was the uh, the sad fate or the, the amazing Lazarus-like rise of the fate of Murnau's Nosferatu, which again itself popped up. Uh, in a way, allegorically, Nosferatu is not really about the advent of the vampire on, on the poor, unsuspecting people, but it's about the advent of the uh, Nazi party in Germany, which would usurp the entire film industry, and all those filmmakers knew it, and many of them, like Fritz Lang, they'd all run for the hills. Some of them went to America, some of them went to, to other parts of Europe, to Paris. And in the case of Nosferatu, with all prints being ordered destroyed by the court, one snuck out, and it was discovered later in, in 1960 in a butchered way, and, and then various other little parts of it were discovered along the way, and now the film is, you know, it, it's in a museum. I mean, it's considered one of the greatest films of all time. Um, but yeah, these films often pop up uh, in the best of them. The landmark films pop up in, in the times of, of strife and, and political and social Unrest. So all those films stemming from Germany in the 1920s were were really just kind of subconscious echoes of, of the times in which they were made post World War One, leading into World War Two. And with all those craftsmen fleeing Germany and many of them landing in various parts of the world, the big wave of horror films that we would see in the 1930s coming out of America, out of Hollywood, were the Universal Pictures horror films. Uh, Dracula with Bela Lugosi and Frankenstein, both being released in 1931. Uh, with a hefty dose of German talent, expat German talent behind the scenes, including directors like Karl Freund, who was a cinematographer in Germany and would end up making uh, The Mummy in 1932 with, with Boris Karloff. Um, so those, uh, you know, those sensibilities ended up infecting um, American films in the 1930s, those major, major movies. You know, we, we know that Rod Serling always tried to leak in some editorial in his uh, in his Twilight Zone episodes that well, that he couldn't publicly talk about. Well, no, and they, I know you had uh, Mark Mark Zakri on right too. Yeah, was, you know he's he's the man when it comes to the zone, and and that's 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 you know that's a great example right there. In the 1950s, hugely volatile time for 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 the world with every with the Cold War and people afraid of imminent nuclear destruction, and so we'd see films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or Invaders from Mars that were really about xenophobia and about the other and about losing your identity and and uh, and the loss of humanity. Uh, yeah, and Serling was very concerned with these themes, especially coming out of the war and coming back a very different man. And you know, he's winning Emmys for stuff like Patterns and and Requiem for a Heavyweight, but the censors at the time would keep. 
censoring him, you know, trying to remove all the social commentary from his scripts, which frustrated him to no end. So very cannily, he, he created this show called The Twilight Zone, which he was adamant. There's a great interview he did with Mike Wallace. You can find it on YouTube on six, you know, 60 Minutes. He was adamant right to the bitter end that this was not a political show. This was not a social uh, diatribe. This was just a fantasy science fiction show. But of course, he was lying. And each one of those, especially in that a glorious first season where he wrote most of those episodes, were really just trying to tell people things about the world that they lived in, teach hard moral lessons uh, using the tropes of the genre. The the work of all of these directors who have uh, put together some incredible horror films uh, then and they still do now, what would you say might be the top three horror films of all times, then Again. and now? Yeah, such a, a the, the, if if you're in, if you're in as deep as I am with all this junk, that is the question that that is the probably the on the surface the easiest and yet is the most difficult. Uh, because there's a it, lot of good ones. It's so subjective, but I will say that obviously there's a handful of important ones out there that are important for a reason because they came at a certain time. They changed the way we look at at cinema. They were. Uh, examples of a changing of the guard if you will and you know i mean films like you know as the old guard died in the 1960s in hollywood and things started to change and television was in everyone's living room and people would see graphic violence on the six o'clock news with bodies coming back from the war um you know the audiences needed something a little more visceral and then we get films like night of the living dead so george romero's night of the living dead and then 10 years later, the sequel, Dawn of the Dead, I think are two of the most vital and important uh, social, political horror movies. But they also did so much to uh, progress the graphic nature of the horror film. No longer were we concerned about uh, those post-code Hollywood movies where they had to hide everything in the shadows and cloak it. Now the violence, the gore, uh, the bodies being ripped up could be shown in all their uh, crimson splendor. Uh, so those were important films. The Exorcist all, also. Now, when I was a little boy, I saw a TV cut of The Exorcist where Linda Blair doesn't say, well, let's just say she, she tells the priest to uh, scrub his socks in hell instead of saying what she should have said. So I, it never really hit me, and I wasn't raised a Catholic. It didn't, it didn't really affect me. I thought The Omen was a much scarier film. But going back on The Exorcist as an adult, I see it, and I see how important that movie is uh, and why it's a classic uh, so there's, there are those handful of films, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being another one of them, of course. Back in time, Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, a little movie called Night of the Hunter, made in 1955 by Charles Lawton, the actor. It was a one-shot movie, never made another movie, never directed another film. It's a major, major work of horror that not a lot of people even call a horror film. So there are these handful of classics uh, out there that uh, kind of orbit in my top five as they go, but they are always there, and they will be here, I think, for, till the end of time. I, I think the people who are so creative, who put some of these programs together, uh, should win awards, but a lot of them don't. How come? Why don't they have, do they have an award for the horror films that aren't necessarily Oscars? Well, there are awards. I mean, it's, there's, there's a great little, um, there's a great little kind of counterculture award uh, uh, process or organization called the Rondo Awards, named after an actor named Rondo Hatton, who started movies in the 1940s like The Brute Man. 
who was physically disfigured. He was a real ugly bastard. But, you know, really, I think because he was such a, a strange-looking dude, that's why he became the poster child of these classic awards. So they give out every year, and it's a lot of fun for all of us who toil making magazines and movies and music in, in this uh, counterculture to, to actually have our kind of, like, down-market Oscars. So the Rondos are out there doing that. The magazine I used to run, Fangoria, had the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. At one point, even had a television show where we'd actually give out the awards. Um, so there are people out there. But I think what's great about horror is that we don't need awards. Uh, it's always been the counterculture. It's always been a bit punk rock. We're against the mainstream. If you like this stuff, you're always trying to comment and criticize the mainstream using the genre. So why do we need to get dolled up and walk the red carpet and be those human cliches <laughs> you know, that the Oscars are really all about? And, and let's face it. A movie wins an Oscar today, it's forgotten tomorrow. But the horror movies are the ones that They last. go on forever, don't they? Forever. They really do. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.